Okay, well, thank you for being here. And uh, we're starting a new little mini-series on um, lessons that I've learned in 50 years of ministry. Um, And just in case there's anybody that's concerned about my math, um, 51 years ago, I was... uh, I was asked to start helping with the youth in our youth group um, and took, began to take leadership roles there. And so uh, that's why the 50 years comes in. It's not 50 years of pastoring, um, but 50 years of ministry. Um, so there's a lot of things that the Lord has shown me, and, and I'm the kind of person that I think is more blind than others. And so there have been a number of times where the Lord has sort of opened my eyes to things that were like, wow, this is, I never saw this before. And uh, so that's what I'm going to share. And these are the, just happen to be the biggest things that happened in my history. I'm not saying that these are the th- biggest lessons you need to learn or that you haven't seen. I'm just sharing my own story in case that's helpful to anyone else. But let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for the privilege of gathering in the name of Jesus and pray that he would be here with us, leading us, working in us, guiding our conversation and our thoughts and our desires so that we might desire Christ more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when I became a Christian, I, uh, you know, I was melted. It was pretty sudden and dramatic, and it was I was melted by the love of God for me. But I really didn't have a very deep or large grasp of my own sinfulness. Um, I didn't. You know, not, I'm not, not like one of those people that was driven to my need, or my desperate uh, lostness, or anything like that. Um, so, my view of my own sin was rather shallow. And uh, I know that there were times when, you know, I was convicted of things, but the first really large um, Experience of being that I remember of uh, having my eyes open to my sin came beginning in 1997. I was, um, the Lord was sort of troubling me by a number of symptoms, subtle symptoms in my spiritual life that uh, I couldn't. Uh, um, so, 1997, there's some symptoms that began to trouble me about my own life. Um, you know, for instance, I, uh, there were certain things that I knew I should really desire and want to pray for that I found it hard to pray for. And, um, and I noticed that my zeal, another example is that my zeal for, um, other people's godliness seemed to be stronger than my zeal for my own godliness. And uh, a 
another thing I noticed was that my public prayers were much more intense than my private prayers. All these are, I saw as symptoms of a problem, and I didn't really know what that was. And really for two years I struggled. And it, when I realized this and began to ask for God's help, it got worse before it got better. Um, it, I began to realize that I had a deep, deeper and deeper problem, or I began to realize in a more deep level that I had a problem. And, um, and then the Lord began to open my eyes to what was going on after, you know, probably a year and a half or so of, of deep discouragement, actually. And um, the Lord showed me that there were, uh, that there's a whole side of my sin that I had missed. Um, that I had viewed sin in a very uh, one-sided way. I was, my whole fear and concern and attention was given to what you might call liberal sins or um, licentious kind of sins, worldliness, immorality, breaking the rules, you know, having an attitude, a bad attitude toward God, being a mocker, a scoffer, um, being tolerant of sin. Um, rejoicing in evil, laziness, half-heartedness, questioning the Word of God or taking away from the Word of God. So these, these things I was very alert to. But I was convicted that there, I was blind to a whole nother realm of sin that I haven't really realized was a part of my heart. Um, I had focused on the outward, the, the visible, the conscious sins, as opposed to the inward, the invisible, and the unconscious sins. Um, I, another symptom that I had recognized was that um, no one would have ever accused me of being a friend of sinners. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. But I don't think there were no sinners that were flocking to me like, like they flocked to Jesus. In fact, they were running the other way. And I thought, you know, there's something wrong if that's what's going on. Because Jesus, you know was completely different. So, um, and then I thought of, or found, I can't remember, Proverbs 4.27, which says, Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Which sort of put into words what I was learning, that there's really two ways you can go off the path. You can go off to the right, you can go off to the left. And the danger of only thinking that one is the danger 
is that you become vulnerable to the other. And uh, if, you know, um, if you're totally preoccupied with a certain kind of sin, you're just going to back into the other kind of sin, the opposite kind of sin. Um, this is probably put, the, the best book I've ever read on this is the book by Tim Keller, which I read much later, called The Prodigal God, which is about the uh, parable of the prodigal son, or as he calls it, the parable of the two sons, because what, what, what typically has been the approach to that parable is exactly what I had done. That the focus is on the younger son and his sins. And that's why we call it the parable of the prodigal son. But the fact is, really, Jesus is drawing more attention to the second son and his sins, even though he's drawing attention to both. But in that parable, the younger son repents and gets forgiven. The older son is resentful and self-righteous and doesn't see his need to repent. And that is... Um, the kind of I, it, you know when I read this it was like I am such an older brother when it comes to my sin and I, I was so blind to it it's so easy to focus on the sins that other people are guilty of you know because then it doesn't hurt It's you, you could be the prophet who stands up and you know, raises the word of God and throws down the Ten Commandments in protest and, you know, like Moses did, but, but uh, you don't have to realize your own sinfulness. Um, of course, the Bible, you know, the first part of the Bible mainly emphasizes that kind of outward sin. And then when the prophets come along, they start focusing on the inward sins. And then when Jesus comes along, he focuses big time on the inward sins. And then the epistles have a very balanced uh, you know, focus. And I, you know, obviously, because the Jews were so steeped in those early books of the Old Testament... They needed a lot of attention given to the other side of sin. And that's what the prophets did, and then Jesus, and then um, the Christians, you know, they're different because um, many of them were Gentiles, and they needed, they needed to hear more about both sins, both kinds of sins. And this is just generalized observations. Um... So I thought, you know, I wanted I want to do each one of these as a devotional conversation, and not um, <clears throat> not just you know give you a lecture or share my own story. Um, but uh, I so I'm going to uh, brainstorm together with you about the kinds of sins that are the more subtle sins, that are the more inward sins that are the more, the sins that, um, like, you know, the Pharisees were more 
drives by. But first, let me just illustrate what I was saying before about the apostles and their balance um, in the epistles. Listen to uh, Paul in Galatians 5 where he gives the uh, fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are very inward focused, right? They're, They're referring to sins of the heart. But before that he says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let me take the list from the beginning of that to the end. and it's You can't categorize that. That's on every place in the spectrum of outward and inward kinds of sins. And, so, um, and that is the way that the uh, epistles are. Okay, so um, let me begin by throwing out one area of sin, and we can unpack that a little bit, and then I'll open up and see what other areas of, of sin that you can think of. And again, we're focusing here on not the outward obvious sins where you can point to someone and say they're sinning, or point to yourself and say I'm sinning, but the more subtle inward sins. Um, so the first one that I'll throw out is thinking that you're better than others. Um, and there are many ways that we commit this sin. Uh, for instance, we're outraged at other people's sins. Over-outraged at other people's sins. I'm not saying that there's no place for being outraged at someone else's sins. But when we're really outraged at other people's sins and not very outraged at our own sins, that's a problem. Um, then there's the issue of uh, whether how easy it is for us to identify with others. Um, how, you know, if there's somebody that we've, is disgusting to us, is revolting to us, is scandalous to us, and we don't have any ability to say, that's like me. And identify with that person and say, you know, all these, uh, all these things that are going on in the world, this is, this is what I, I have the potential to be like this too and, and I, I would be if it wasn't for the grace of God um, Jesus talked about you know taking the speck out of your own eye before you take the take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye and that raises the whole issue of how the human tendency is to see sins in others as magnified and the sins in ourselves as minimized. Um, That's why 
our job, that's why the thing with the beam and the speck, our job is to maximize our own sin and minimize other people's sin. To compensate for our natural human sinful tendency to do the opposite. And um, so, for me, another aspect of this is how quick I am to notice other people's weaknesses and much quicker than I am to notice their strengths. Now, um, Lord, hopefully the Lord has done work in my heart since 1997 and I'm not like I was, but I, I saw it very clearly and, it, and I have that tendency even still. Um, so, that's, that's a, one example, thinking that we're better than others. Um, what are other areas of sin that we could unpack together a little bit? Or, or any other examples of that one that you'd like to mention before we move on? Rebecca, and then Sarah. Good one. George. Oh, I'm sorry. I said Sarah. Sarah. Then George. Um, I think when, when you see someone sin and, and you say to yourself, well, I've never done that. Or I would never do that. Um, and I think, you know, the, one of the first times I heard someone say that the Ten Commandments, we've all broken all of them. I said to myself, Very good. Everybody hear that? Okay, good. George.
Yeah, well, we're sinners, and that's what sinners do. So, yes, we are always sinning. One day you will, George. One day you will. But you're right. You can't say it now. And so it seems like our attitude towards sin I I realize that I'm a sinner and that I sin constantly and what I struggle with is having Yeah, there has to be a certain acceptance of the fact that you're a sinner. And um, even though we're not supposed to be tolerant of our own sin, we have to be tolerant of ourselves as sinners. And so there is a tension there. Where we're called to be righteous, and yet um, we're not, you know, there's a subtle thing in us that wants to succeed, that wants to do it right, that wants to be a hero, that wants to um, be commended, not because in His grace Christ loves me, but because I did the job well. And that is so uh, saturated with fleshliness, that whole aspect of our being. Joel. One of the um, tricky things that I think Satan does with this sort of perception of sin. Can you guys hear him on the back? One of, let me speak louder. One of the tricky things Satan does is that, you know, the gospel is this rock that we can build our house on and understand truly where we stand before God. We know that we are both sinful and and there's no instability there. You're not oscillating between two, you know, uh, you know, flying back and forth when you're grounded. In it. But I think where Satan wants to put many of us is to this position of we're either proud and ignoring our sin, or uh, we, I, I think of it as the, the Dalby effect. You know, in Harry Potter, Dalby, when he does something that he considers quote-unquote wrong, he bashes his head against the pole to punish himself. And so... And then, you know, some of us struggle on one side or the other, and sometimes we oscillate back and forth. It's like, it's like we're fine, I'm great, I'm, you know, you minimize your sin, you go on with life, you don't care. And then maybe somebody, the same person, or, you know, you're struggling, you go back, and you're like, you know, I'm worthless, I can never stand before God. And um, when you find yourself in that instability, that sort of, you know, teetering between those two, or, or falling into one or the other, you know, that's where Satan really wants us. But this idea of grace is this thing 
there, there are two fundamental truths that are not contrary, that coexist perfectly, are sin and God's perfect grace. And there's no conflict there. There's no, um, you know, we stand before God and we're covered by his, his blood. And uh, when we zero on this, we're not sort of weaving back and forth like we're jerking the wheel back and forth on two sides of the road. It's just like you have a, a rock-solid direction to go towards. Um, so it's tricky. It's, it is, yeah. it's hard. But um, it's like a really beautiful solution. Right. Okay. Jordan, and then I'm going to move on to finding new, new sins instead of... Um, kind of just related to the overall topic, like the analogy of driving down the road and swerving to the left and the right. Um, from the verse you shared from Proverbs 4.27, I think it's curious that the verses right before it say, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Um, I feel like that piece is critically important to it also, and I think it's really easy to be going down the road. I think we've all driven down the road before and been lost in thought and not even been thinking about it really easy in the Christian life. I think it's even, even easier in public ministry where you're so focused on external that it's easy to lose sight of the internal. You know, like, am I not taking stock? Am I not um, engaged in, in uh, meaningful prayer, like you were saying before, about like public prayers being more than your private prayers? Am I not listening to those around me? Am I not, um, you know, involved in the fellowship of other believers and bouncing ideas back and forth? And I think if you lose those things, it's easy to swerve to the left and the right. I yep. And also from that passage, that the solution ultimately is not to be preoccupied with either side of the road, you know, and the fear of going off the cliff, but to focus on Christ. And, uh, and in a sense, that is, you, you can't, you can't uh, be a safe driver just by um, the fear of doing something wrong. Um, keeping your eyes on Christ is the key. Okay, let's move to other potential subjects, uh, other sins that are in the category of of um, inward and subtle um, sins that that it's so easy for people to not even realize are going on in their lives. How about, let me throw out a topic and then I'll let you unpack it. How about hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, of course, is when we're pretending to be something that we're not. Hypocrisy comes from the word for acting, like an, an, an actor or an actress. Right, so you you uh, you desire to be approved by others, so you're a different person in different contexts, and you don't want to put yourself in a context where you know you're going to be disapproved. 
So outreach is really hampered by by that kind of attitude. One of the highest compliments you can give someone is to say that he's the same wherever he is, you know, in public and up front. You know, he's, he's the same person. That's a really admirable virtue. Yes, sir. Um, I found myself the biggest hypocrite since I had children because <laughs> I'll tell them, you know, you should act this way or you shouldn't say bad things about people or you should be patient or, you know, I'm telling them right. how they should be or shouldn't be. But then at the same time, like, God is like, well, <laughs> you're telling them to say kind words, but you're you not know, saying kind words or you're telling them to be patient with each other, but you're not patient with them. So it's like thrown up in my face every day that I'm the, the world's giant, most hypocritical person. Right. So. You should become a, pa- a preacher. <laughs> you know, because then you, you, a lot of times you don't even get to pick which passages, you know, they just come to this passage and you go, man, oh boy. <laughs> and you got to preach it. You can't just say, well, this one isn't so important. We're going to move on to the next one. You know? <laughs> For instance, um, it's so easy for me to to be so alert to how other people treat me much more than how I treat others. You know, it's like, you could have said that more gently. You know, but I'm not alert like that when I'm telling what I think to someone else. Okay, how about the idea of being uh, rules-oriented? And obviously, God uh, gave us rules, so there's nothing wrong with um, being serious and attentive and zealous about God's rules. But Jesus also talked to the Pharisees about how they strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel. Meaning that they were focused on these little rules, and that's not, he didn't say that, that you shouldn't be obeying those rules. He said you should be focusing on the big things without, not, without ignoring the little things. But the priorities, and it's so easy to think that you're, that you're doing the right thing because you have a Bible verse that says this. And yet, there's much bigger things in the Bible that you're just completely ignoring. And that's, I re- that's what I realized about myself. Any thoughts about that? Maybe not neglecting like, other sins necessarily, but like, losing the forest for the trees. Like, sometimes you lose sight of the big picture because of like, your fixation on a certain issue. You know, like, it may be really easy like, if you're... Um, witnessing to someone to see some of the sins in their life and the things that come out and that causes you to lose sight of like the discipleship they need or where they're at right now in their spiritual walk 
uh, or even the relationship with the Lord, or even knowledge of the Lord, you know. So I think just making sure that you're looking at the big picture and not just, I'm not minimizing the small things, they're important too, but yeah. uh, I think sometimes we have a tendency to focus on that rather than the big picture. So, you know, since I'm not going to be your pastor for very much longer, I'm going to take the freedom to say something that I probably wouldn't say if I, if I wasn't in this position. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the just common experiences of every church leader is they, that somebody in the congregation gets upset about something that, some way something's being done. And, uh, and you know, they're bent out of shape about it. Um, and yet, the way that they approach it is just so... You know, I'm not saying this happens every time, and there are many people who have the right, do it right, and come gently. And we, every church leader worth his stuff, wants feedback from the congregation. But sometimes it, it's done so self-righteously and so thoughtlessly, with no regard for all that people are doing. You know, here the ruling elders of a church are pouring out their lives, giving so much of their time for nothing in terms of monetary gain. And yet then people just are so quick to criticize and so outraged over little things that it's amazing that any of them last. But, but uh, you know, it's... It, <clears throat> so many times it's done with just such self-righteousness and like I'm the prophet who God has sent to confront you about you know what you're doing wrong and uh, it's just so that the tone and the attitude and the and the humility is lacking um yeah I haven't thought about that um, sure Sure. And um, I oftentimes, when you, when I get that kind of feedback and it's delivered in such a way, um, it's really hard to hear. I often have. I really, really. This is a real thing. This is like this week for me. Um, I often have a very hard time hearing anything. I, I can't bear to believe that there's a there's any truth in what that person would say because it was so cutting in the way that they communicated. Yes. Um, so I, I'm just adding this to the list of sins for myself. To um, I'm unwilling to hear truth from a sinner. Right. Right. Yeah. When when and and you know that's the wrong attitude, but it's the attitude we all have. That's why. The proverb says, harsh word stirs up anger. A harsh word stirs up anger. And, and that's the natural way people react. And yet, when you're the one getting the feedback, your job is to look past the, the harshness and ask the Lord, is, is there something here that you're trying to say to me? This is what David did. Remember when, what was the guy's name that uh, came out and was throwing rocks at him and cursing him? Gosh, 
Shimei. And, uh, and so, and David, you know, had, he said, if the Lord has sent him to curse me, let him curse. And, uh, you know, that's the right at- the attitude we should have. That realizing that even this person's harshness is under the sovereignty of God. And he's, God has sent this for my good. And therefore, I have to be willing to hear what God says even if it comes from the mouth of a donkey. Like with Balaam, right? So, there's no excuse to not listen. And that makes the elder's job even harder because you've got to be the example and you've got to be gracious and you've got to respond not the way that you feel like responding sometimes, but you've got to respond in a way that tries to show the person this is the way you should approach matters like this. So, and it's it, that's one of the reasons why being a church leader it puts you on the fast track of sanctification. Otherwise, you can't survive. Just a, another note on that is there are circumstances where people are convicted about something that's going wrong, have enormous feelings about them, and have a recognition that there's no way that they can bring forward this idea in like a calm, level way. And sometimes people with that knowledge, you have a choice. It's like, well, I'm so amped up about this, should I just not bring up this thing that I truly believe is really important? Or should I, you know, bring it forward knowing that I'm gonna mess this up, but it's, it's, it still matters. So, you know, if something's going wrong in the church, you know, no person is going to have, you know, you don't get an out because the person bringing you the issue didn't like razor edge cut it right to the point of exactly presenting it in the perfect manner. And it's it's hard because if you have that attitude, then people can't bring forward issues that they feel strongly about because you know you can say, look, I know you know you feel strongly about this yep. and you know you might have some truth to say and you might come forward knowing that you're over uh, amped up or over angry about this than it merits. But, you know, having that ability to come forward is still crucial on um, disproportionately. And it's human nature. You can't have, there's no way around that. Absolutely. Otherwise it's going to be the, you know, council events where you just, you know, sit there for years. Right. That's why we all have to be, you know, slow to, slow to anger and quick to forgive and, and, uh, you know, willing to bear with one another and, Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Um, and again, these are, you know, we're talking about these in general, but these were things that I was convicted of and learned myself that, that uh, um, so I don't want to lose the focus of my own confession in this. The next one I have here is loving human admiration and recognition. Um, and you know this took me a long time to see that, that I was like this um, but I realized that I had a tendency to guide conversations to some subject that would lead to conversation about my actions or my character or anything like that um, 
in a subtle way so that the people didn't realize that I was guiding the conversation. But uh, I, uh, I realized in this, I always thought of myself as not caring what people thought about me. But I came to realize that I really did care about what people thought about me. I loved people's praise. And uh, I, you know, even one of the ways that I would do this is I'd bring up some major slip up of some other person. It was like my, my parallel, like this fellow pastor or something. And, uh, and sort of use his fall to, in comparison, you know, make myself look better, look good. Um, and uh, so, and you know, the Pharisees, they loved recognition. Jesus talked about that. And uh, things that they did. But I realized that um, in some ways I hated shame more than I hated sin in my own heart. I loved being thought of as godly to the point that I cared more about being thought of as godly than about being godly. Any thoughts or ramblings on that? Question, maybe. How much of that is, uh, per- is, is unique to you versus... Um, Something that may be a common pitfall of a young pastor who may be, I guess what I'm asking is, is this something that you feel that would be something to watch out for in a lot of younger pastors who maybe are seeking or maybe are, are insecure in some way? I'm not saying that you are, but yeah. you know, I, think, I would imagine that it's easy when you're in public ministry to want to be thought of as, as, as being very spiritual and very... Um, and to be admired and to, uh, to look like you've got it together. And I can see that yeah. that would be a very... Dangerous trap. Yeah, but it's also a dangerous trap if we're trying to make sure that other people don't get proud, because it's it's you know because praising people and giving honor to whom it's due is something we're commanded to, and it never says give dishonor to people to whom it's due. You know, it's like that is that part of of our job, that that not part of our job description. So um, you know, we're supposed to love enough to give feedback obviously and gently when it's needed but but that's uh, not every time you could so it's tough you have to t- trust that the Lord is at work he's going to show this guy what he needs to see when he needs to see it um, and when you, God gives you opportunities to speak into his life you speak into it but I don't know that there's any way to... Um, I, I, there were times, I look back now, and I was hurt by, it, by... And this is just me. I don't know if other people like this. I was hurt that people saw things in me and didn't say anything. And especially, especially I was hurt that people saw things in me and instead of saying something, they left and I don't mean just leave the church. I mean, they left me. They left our friendship because they, uh, 
because it's something that was a turnoff in my character. And I felt unloved because I felt like you didn't even think it was possible that I was going to be able to see that and respond properly. You have any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have to come up with something, but because, you know, we've talked a lot about this thing. I think a lot of these things apply to marriage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At least. Number two, I just want to say it's, it's a real joy to see how you've grown in the Lord. It's just such a delight. God has answered so many prayers, so many prayers from these people here yep. to bring you where you are. It's, it's just brings joy to my heart. Well, I didn't have a call on you, so you say nice things about me. But anyway. <laughs> okay, next one. Um, earthly mindedness. You know, I don't know how much of it is just getting old. But it's so much easier when you're 69 to be heavenly minded than when you're 29. Um, at least for me. And when you have your whole life in front of you, it's like, for me, it was almost like impossible for me to think, it doesn't matter what happens in my life, I'm going to heaven. It just seemed like that was so far away. And maybe because now it's like, hey, it's not very far away. <laughs> you know, we're, a, a, I'm... I'm like 15 years from where both of my parents, you know, began to lose their minds. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I could die this afternoon on the way home, but, but I don't have very much time left before I'm not myself. At least if, you know, the Lord allows that pattern to continue. And uh, so it, it's easy for me to focus on that now, much easier. But, um, boy, it, it was so hard as a young man to not be concerned about my health and my job and my finances and my insurance policies and the politics of the nation and the situation of the church and, and not really be focused on Christ and about the, the promises of eternal life. Now the fact is, really, being 29 and 69 isn't very different. 40 years is a moment in eternity. And so that difference is just because of our foolish human uh, perspective. We see things so small, um, but it is something that that I realized, and something that's very easy to to live out your spiritual life, your church life, your ministry life. But really, it's all about earthly things. I thought that my zeal was of the Lord. And I came to realize that much of my zeal was just me. 
It was maybe my desire to be successful. You know, like some people are really into their job. And it's not really because they care so much about what their job is. It's because they care about themselves. And they want to be successful. And they want other people to esteem them for the good job that they do. But it's not really about, you know, people's hearts and their surgeries or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying anything about Jordan, but that's, I'm just using that as an illustration. Um, so that was a big thing for me to, to uh, realize just how fleshly I was, even though I had perceived my, oh, gosh, we're way over time. I didn't even notice that. So I'll just mention the others because I don't want to spend another week on this. Jack, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a blessing it has been to have older saints. I think of the Macklins, Virginia Dons, and to learn from their perspective as they aged, uh, helping us when we're so much younger to have right, a better perspective on life, on what really matters. So that community is Amen. Amen. So let me just end by saying um, it's not enough to hate some sins. We've got to hate all sins. All the different ways that sin is manifested in our minds and our lives. And uh, it's easy. In fact, everyone in the world hates some sins. They're outraged about something that somebody does bad. But for the believer, you know, who really wants to seek the Lord, we've got to hate all of our sins. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we've had. Continue to deepen us, and thank you so much for your work to open my eyes about ways that I was um, sinful and dishonoring to you. And now, Lord, prepare us to worship you and with joy, and to open our hearts to receive your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.